So, to welcome you all here, and I think the first thing we should uh, do in body, speech, and mind is pay our respects to the Buddha. The Buddha was the pathfinder, the awakened one, the one who has established the teachings. And for two and a half thousand years, this path has been established it so well. Two and a half thousand years, the path is still clear. This is a very large thing to have done. <laughs> this is an enormous thing to have done. That two and a half thousand years ago, he created a set of teachings by himself, having awakened by himself, and established a set of teachings purely from his own understanding that would guide people who would be born two and a half thousand years later. Can you imagine that? <laughs> yeah. So I am just the commentator. You know, I cannot cover the Buddha's teachings. I can comment and help you to begin and continue your practice. But it's the Buddha we owe our respect. Sometimes people ask me, Why, what's all this bowing? Why do people bow? Some people do it more or less instinctively. Some people think it's a matter of being polite, uh, you know, appropriate polite behavior, show respect. Um, it's actually, it means a lot. And what it really means, why we don't just say respect, but you also do this with our bodies, the feeling of giving yourself. When you do this, you give yourself your body, your heart, and even your thinking mind, you lay it down. You give yourself... And in that giving of yourself, you open up to listen very deeply. It's a way in which we cultivate modesty, humility, gentleness, openness to receive a teaching and a practice that goes beyond this world. This is not a small thing. This teaching, this practice goes beyond the normal understanding of the world. It goes beyond the understanding of the human being, of being just a creature encased in flesh, born, aging, dying. So what? <laughs> it goes beyond that. Yeah. It helps us to realize something more beautiful, more steady, more strong, more wise, more compassionate than the world can normally express. So this isn't something we just get as an idea or get as an experience. This is something we open up to, listen very deeply to, offer ourselves to, because it's only 
in that complete offering and opening of the heart that there is the possibility to sense and to begin to grow in the Dhamma. Now in a little while we'll be taking the refuges and the precepts. The first thing, the refuges, the recognition, why the Buddha said refuge. What does this mean? It means certain things. First it means a safe place, a place you can go to. It's not a refuge if you can't get there. It's a safe place, it's an open place that you can go to. And it also reminds us that we need to go somewhere safe because the world is not safe. <laughs> yeah. The world is not safe. Yeah. We live on the edge. We think we live on a vast land. We live on the edge of death any moment. We live on the edge where any moment the body pain can happen. We live on the edge where any moment we can hear my son has died. My father's in an accident. Grief, sorrow, strikes us. We have not gone beyond this. We think, we can think everything is comfortable and okay and within a few seconds it can turn, turn over. Even just recently before I left the monastery one of the monks is known as a very strong, fit monk he walks 25 kilometer Bindabad, easy, no problem. You know, five hours, Bindabad. And so it's time for the meal. Where is he? Where is he? Collapsed. What? Heart beating, body spasms. Have to go to hospital, come and pick him up. Like this, one moment, strong, next moment, down. You know, fit, strong man. It's like that. This is the thing we live with. Just on this level. We can also experience not just physical problem like this, but also the mind can suddenly go like this. People can have attacks in their mind. We are subject to anxiety, fear, depression. If we're not careful, our minds can blow up with anger and we say and do terrible things. Anyone can do this. If they're threatened, if they're frightened, they can say and do terrible things. So we are like um, living inside a volcano. You know, we think it's a nice green hill. It's actually we're living inside a volcano. And uh, if we really remember this, it's not to be frightened. It's to mean every moment counts. 
And in that moment, we have to look very clearly what is most important. There are many, many, the human mind has so many possibilities of things to think about, to imagine, to plan, to remember, to worry about, to wish for, to long for, to criticize, so many opinions we can have about the past, the future, other people, the country, the state of the economy, (laughs) everything. None of these will take you to refuge. (laughs) None of these will take you to refuge. If they did, I would encourage you to follow it, but they won't take you there. But this practice will. So, because of this, because our minds are so capable of moving, of imagining, of wishing, of wanting, of remembering, of planning, control, train the mind. Train the mind. It's like a wild, it's like fire. It can go everywhere. Train it, it becomes a fire that you can warm your hands by. So in this Retreat form, we recognize the potential of the mind, its potential to do us enormous harm, its potential to do other people enormous harm with malevolent, unkind thinking, with greed, with jealousy, with envy, with pride. And we see the power of that to do us enormous benefit with calm, with patience, with diligence, with compassion, with sati. And the Buddha is saying, look, this is very important. Use your time to cultivate the mind and it will guard you better than anything. He said, there is not even your parents can give you as much support as your well-trained mind. Even the people who brought you into this world as a baby cannot look after you the way that your mind can, if you train it. And nothing can do you so much harm, even your worst enemy is your mind, if you don't train it. (laughs) Therefore, focus. Because of this, because of this opportunity that we all have, and during this retreat time, to really gather all our strengths, to gather our understanding, to gather our commitment to this practice so that for at least the five days we have definitely increased our potential for good and cut away the possibilities of harming ourselves and others or just wasting time, you know, just wasting time. So because this is why retreat, you have a particular form, you know, saying just this retreat, we come out of our individual form, my clothes, my way of being, my house, my car, my job, into just this. We surrender our individuality in this respect. 
Just try to, as best you can, with good heart, with good heart, try to follow, be a follower of the Buddha, be a follower of this retreat form. This is something I have done myself for nearly 40 years. It has been immense benefit. It can... (laughs) And you have made this commitment to come here, so really get a feeling for that. Because together, if we operate together, we strengthen each other. We can practice on our own, of course. But practicing on your own, sometimes your mind goes, well, maybe, maybe this, maybe not. Yeah, why bother? When you have a group, it keeps you strength holds you together, gives you strength. So we say, let's everybody get here, morning time. Yeah. Morning time maybe, well, just make an effort. Yeah. <laughs> then also maybe, normally we like to talk, we like to look at things, read things, so just, just put that down. Try to express goodwill through your behavior through living harmoniously. Hmm? There are really, perhaps, only when it comes to the most important things to say, there are two things. One is, please. (laughs) Yeah? Or, oh please, give me the space. It's a a sense of, may I, may I. We live like this. We live with a sense of gentleness. And the other quality, the other word that seems very important to say is thank you. Which is we acknowledge each other with respect, uh, with a sense of gratitude, and for companionship in this practice. And you can do this with your body. Hmm? You say please by saying, you know, rather than everybody push towards the food or push towards the door, just say, please, please, please. <laughs> yeah. So then we try to find a place to walk. It's, please, you go here. You know, trying to really have that sense of offering each other space and support in the, in the retreat. If you have any particular needs, anything seems difficult for you, then you can talk to the manager, you talk to Mike, and he can advise you what to do. Naturally, when we begin a retreat, it can be a very sudden change of pace or a change of speed. We're used to doing many things in a day, external things. Seeing things, working things, moving around, getting in the car, getting in the train, going back, cooking the food, many things. Suddenly, stop. Oh. <laughs> and when you stop, first of all, you oh. oh. Maybe first of all, you just <laughs> sleep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You're sleeping. Okay. Try to hold your body up. Open your eyes. Yeah. Give your face a little rub. 
Hold your hands up like this. Take a deep breath. Yeah. It's still very difficult to stand up. Remember, you don't have to sit. If you can't find sitting too painful, too difficult, you can stand. I will show you standing meditation. Yeah. The other thing that can happen for us is opposite of sleep, too much energy. Mind is running, 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 can't stop. Oh, yeah. 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 We're thinking about the things we need to do. We're thinking about what somebody else said. We're thinking about what we want to do. Yeah. We're thinking about what we didn't do. <laughs> so the mind can be running, running, running. And for this you have to, again, try to keep your eyes open. If you close your eyes, normally, until you get used to it, when you close your eyes, there's only two reasons why you close your eyes. One is to go to sleep. Yeah? And the other is when you really want to think something, you close your eyes and think, Hmm. What's you think? You close your eyes to think. So first of all, when you sit to meditate, when you close your eyes, you will go to sleep, <laughs> or you start to think. <laughs> so sometimes you see, like the Buddha himself, his eyes slightly open. You're not looking at anything. Just let the light come in. Here I am. Very till you get steady, till your energy becomes more steady. Yeah, so now we're starting to understand energy. Yeah, energy go down, sleeping, energy's rushing, restless, overactive. How important is energy is for meditation? And we're looking to cultivate so that energy becomes steady but not tight. It becomes fluid, but not running everywhere. It becomes stable, but not stagnant, not stale. And so this uh, is the best state for meditation. And during the retreat, I'll be showing you some exercises, physical exercises, that really are about inner work, inner energy. It's not about external, it's about inside. It's called qigong. Qi means energy. Gong means generate, create. So these exercises help to create or generate a kind of an energy that acts as a support for meditation. And this helps us to develop that with the practices of anapanasati, which is the, uh, the most detailed meditation teaching that the Buddha gave. Most detailed. Very thorough, detailed explanation of using breathing. Now, The 
reference that the Buddha makes is to breathing, not to breath. Breathing, not breath. Breath is just air. Breathing is a process, movement, energy, rising, softening, brightening, calming, flowing through the body. And we can use the process of focusing on breathing to make the body feel very comfortable and steady. And it helps us to change our attention from the outside form of the body to the inner quality of the body. You don't find any refuge in the outside form of your body. (laughs) There is no refuge at all in that. But inside, when you cultivate that energy, that energy begins to change your mind. It makes your mind strong and firm and also very bright. And with this, we can cultivate samadhi and deep wisdom. Now, now I don't want to add too much more details to that this evening. But just to encourage you, you've seen many on these sheets advice on how to best make use of the time. So we're switching off our phones, our books, our programs. We're switching off the future. Imagine you've come to an island. Yeah. An island, and the Buddha used this image of an island. He says there is an island that you can't go beyond. This is where aging, sickness and death cannot go. They end here. This is where suffering ends. This is why I call it Nibbana. So this is the Nibbana island. (laughs) And Nibbana has no time. It's no future, no past. Time is just something happening when your mind thinks and wanders. So whenever the mind starts thinking about what can I be, what will I be, how long will it take, when will I get, you realize this is already a mistake. (laughs) This process is called akaliko, timeless. Really, we live in the present, and the present is constantly shifting and changing. Changes its forms. It changes its sights. It changes its sounds. And yet, in the center of that, it's always the same. When you consider and you reflect and you look within yourself, the sense of being present is the same as it was yesterday. Now, you may have different feeling, different sensation, different consciousness, that changes. But the sense of being here, sense of being here, it's the same. So our attention 
normally runs out into sights and sounds and touches and into the future, even five minutes into the future, planning the future, hoping for the future. You just keep, when it does that, you keep bringing it back. What's happening now? This is restlessness. When the mind creates time, it's called restlessness. That's a hindrance. So we, and sometimes you have the feeling, oh, this is so long, it's so long, it's so long, it's so long. This is called boredom or impatience. Yeah. Or you have the feeling, there's not enough time, there's not enough time. This is anxiety or impatience. So you begin to understand these hindrances, relax them when you come into the timeless. Timeless is where there is Dhamma, only there. The Dhamma is called Akaliko, timeless. It doesn't change in time. So try to cultivate like every day, same. Every morning, just this morning. Every evening, just now. All day long, just now. Just now. Just now. Just now. Let the present change by itself. Don't resist it and don't struggle with it. This is why we bow. Because we don't know what the next moment will be. But when you take refuge, you can trust the next moment will be something you can manage. It will teach you. This is where taking refuge, centering in the present, cultivating the Dhamma, we trust whatever comes up in our lives is something we can learn from, something we can learn patience, equanimity, kindness, energy, very important things. This is Dhamma as a place of learning. The other quality I'd really like to mention to you, I'm sure you're all very familiar with it, but just to to remind us all, it's called loving-kindness. Now, we can cultivate loving-kindness as a specific practice. We can think about people we respect, people we're fond of, and this is good. But just cultivate, just sustain the quality of loving kindness as the, the air. When you're on this island, this is the air you breathe. It's not just one moment, not just five minutes here, ten minutes there. It's constantly the quality of the Dhamma is a quality that is offering you support. 
and to have an attitude to yourself as if you are your best friend. Have the attitude towards yourself as if you want to encourage yourself, to be patient with yourself, to be warm-hearted towards yourself, so that when you have a difficult time, you have a sense of compassion. When you have difficult thoughts, you have a quality of forgiveness. When you have, uh, don't see too much, make much progress, you have a quality of equanimity. Warm-heartedness towards yourself as a continual atmosphere of practice. When you cultivate this quality of, good, of warm-heartedness, then you're no longer so critical of yourself, so annoyed by yourself, or so disappointed by yourself. (laughs) And you realize when even difficult thoughts or ugly thoughts or impure thoughts come up, oh, this is just like washing your clothes, just washing it out. The stains come out, okay, just keep washing. Don't get worry about the stains, just keep washing. <laughs> Remember, you're not a stain. <laughs> you're the cloth. And now the stains are coming out. So you wash it and you encourage it and you take your time, that practice. Remember, if you have a stain on the cloth, you don't cut it. You don't tear the cloth up. You don't get angry about it. You don't try and put it away. You bring it out and you wash it, you wash it, you wash it. This is the attitude with which we practice Dhamma. So just please bear these, these reflections in mind. In a retreat time, there's a lot of emphasis on meditation, and this itself is a word that can mean many things to people. The overall term for it is bhavana, which really means to cultivate or to develop. To develop, to make something become, to develop something. So this is not just about focusing on your breathing. This is about developing qualities such as determination, such as moral purity, such as renunciation. All these Parami, or perfections, as you cultivate them, will gather and strengthen and support your cultivation of sati, your cultivation of samatha, your cultivation of vipassana, your cultivation of samadhi. So really try to remember that everything we do here, from eating the meal to cleaning, cleaning the the plates or whatever, cleaning your own body, can be seen as a cultivation, an aspect of cultivation. And to remind us of this, I'll be choosing and asking you to recollect um, the Satipatthana Sutta, which is the Buddha's discourse on mindfulness, mindful living, living mindfully, living with clear focused awareness, undistracted awareness, focusing on simple movements, 
eating, sleeping, drinking, sitting, breathing in and out, the whole picture. And the Buddha said this is the direct way, the direct, clear, undeviating way to Nibbāna. Sitting, standing, walking, lying down, leaning, stretching, scratching, (laughs) eating, all of this done with sati, this is the direct, undeviating way to Nibbāna. So this means we have five days, every moment, every hour, there's something we can cultivate. So just try to see your anapanasati practice or your walking practice within a much larger range of cultivation.